Hi, everybody, and welcome to No Country. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Chris Sacknesson. Chris, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm 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 happy, David. I, I'm happy, um, and that's an inexplicable position to be in, isn't it? I don't know if it's because the the light in the room in the you know late evening here, uh, or the fact that I made some kind of my attempt at Basque, uh, as in Basque Spanish influenced food, uh, which is part of my uh, tradition here in in Nevada. Uh, but I, no, I, I just feel, I, f- I feel happy. <laughs> well, good. That's excellent. Yeah. I feel happy as well. The weather has been fantastic the past two days in Oklahoma. That wind has finally abated a bit and it's been in the high fifties, low sixties during the afternoons. So very nice weather. The sun's been out. Um, I always feel like Oklahoma is very nice in the spring, but there's a bit of, concern when the weather is that nice because it means that tornadoes are right around the corner yeah it's so fascinating to live in a place like this where everybody lives under threat of of tornadoes because everybody's sort of relaxed about it they're like oh yeah yeah in a few months the sky is going to try to kill us but for now very beautiful I think it's a tornado alley, tornado alley, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of, I wonder if it's a little bit like, you know, I I grew up in California, you know, the earthquake capital of, of North America. And, uh, I I was once on a, I I was a sprinter in high school and I was once at the starting line of a track meet and, uh, in Hollister, California, which is, as people might know, is the, the epicenter of many, uh, earthquakes and everyone just tipped over, you know, in this kind of beautiful musical dance movement. We just all just tipped over because of, of an earthquake. And everyone went, you know, it sort of panicked for a few moments. But then the thing was, was like, no, we're going to run. We're going to run the race. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're going to keep going here because if we stopped and worried about tornadoes and earthquakes, well, we just wouldn't get on with our lives at all. You know, I mean, what what would be the point? So some of my some of my youth was spent in school ducking by the lockers because that was the safest place in the school while the sky turned green outside. And, you know, some folks might think, well, why on earth did they have you go to school when there's a tornado? Oh, no, 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 no. They don't they don't care. (laughs) Well, you just might as well come here and we'll take cover. But it reminds me of uh, during the Cold War, students being instructed to hide under their desk in the event of a nuclear bomb. Yeah, duck and cover, duck and cover, duck and cover. Well, see how far that gets you. But, you know, whatever. Um. Some funny things on the uh, on the pregnancy front. So today, Rios's nesting instincts kicked in. We've got five weeks until Gus arrives, and we went to Target. <laughs> I know, I know. We went to Target and we bought a bunch of cleaning supplies because she had it in her mind that she was going to deep clean the restroom. And I was working on an edit of a novel, and um, not one of my novels, one of my freelance jobs, and. I walked in there and she was she was struggling. She was kind of going like eh, eh, that kind of thing, and she was trying to reach you know, corners that had you know I don't know grime or dust or something on them. She was like I I can't I can't reach it. And the the smell that hit me that caustic cleaner scent was just you know all throughout the bathroom. And I told her, "You're done now. Go lay down." <laughs> <laughs> we are Good not doing you. this. Yeah. We are not. Yeah. I told her I'll get the I'll get those spots. Don't worry about it. But um, we don't need you in here inhaling all these fumes. But I've heard that's a pretty typical thing. That nesting instinct kicks in, and everything has to be spotless. So, well, well, yeah. I just want to point out that there's the female nesting instinct and there's also your nesting protective instinct that mama doesn't need to do that and just, you know, doesn't, you know, just needs to go lie down. And I think that's a really cool part of the whole deal. And, you know, that kind of ties in with so much that we've been talking about in terms of, well, not just initiation rights, but the management of time, the cultural sort of, 
acceptance of time change. And I mean, you're looking at a major landmark uh, moment when when Gus is born. That's kind of you, you just can't ignore it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be a, it, it's upon you now. And it's affecting your psychology and the dynamics of your relationship in the marriage. And that's the way life works, you know? Yeah. And yeah. It's this it's the stuff that you just can't ignore. You know? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, no, 100%. It's been one of the most surreal and interesting experiences so far in my life. So, and I'm sure it's only going to get weirder. Um. So before we get started, as we've been doing at the top of the show, I've got a little bit of listener mail, which is uh, cool, and also the call to action. So I'll do that one first. Folks, um, you have been responding fantastically to my calls to action, so I'm eternally grateful for that, both for your listenership and for uh, your responsiveness to what I've been asking you to do. But We've been getting people uh, contacting me saying that they're leaving reviews on iTunes. iTunes takes a few days to put stuff up. So, you know, if it doesn't show up immediately, don't worry. It's just, you know, it's only one of the biggest companies in the world, but they, they can't seem to figure out <laughs> how, how to put reviews up in a timely manner. But we thank you for that. Um, thank you so much for contacting Chris and I with your thoughts. Um, also, your thoughts regarding uh, the clarity of some of the ideas that we express, that's exactly what we're looking for, because as Chris has said uh, in the past, we're looking to you know to have these discussions, but also to not uh, get lost in the weeds or have anybody sort of left behind. So that's very appreciated. Um, if you could, go ahead and share this episode uh, as far and wide as you can on your social medias. Uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the official No Country feed over at nocountrypod.podbean.com. I will put that link in the show notes along with um, the link to the Apple Podcast review site. Other than that, uh, I have a novel. All my novels now are on a website called Gumroad, and they are for pay-what-you-want in ebook format. I'm splitting my my books into a um, kind of boutique print runs, small print runs that I'm currently uh, setting up now, but also a pay-what-you-want model for the ebook version, so I'll have a link to that as well. Chris, was there anything that you wanted to add to that before I read some listener mail? Uh, well, I would like to thank uh, a couple of listeners, particularly Janet uh, from Australia, who has been listening closely our whole time and uh, is very supportive. And uh in nearer to home, uh, in, in Sacramento, Diane Karajanakis, who is a devoted listener, who is making some really uh, very, very important comments about the show and is really following what we're doing in the kind of community way that, you know, I think we, we both hope for and uh, really appreciate those women's uh, involvement. Uh, they're very, very intelligent women, and I, I take their comments very seriously, and I think that it's fantastic that, that they're engaged with what we're doing, and we really appreciate that. Um, so there, And there are a couple of other people who, um, coming in from all you know, parts of the world, uh, who are just engaging, you know, with... with the, the topics and are putting forward some ideas, which David, I'll, I'll pass on to you at some point. They're, they're, some of them are coming so fast and furious uh, that it's a little bit hard to manage. I, I, I think we both would appreciate if people could direct comments to our email address, um, mm-hmm. which is the butterfly in the mouth. Um, David might reinforce that. Uh, but we do want to make sure that we're hearing people and building on the comments and responses because our main goal here is not to just talk to each other and, and even just talk about really cool things. We're trying to build community, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very lonely time in world culture history, and we're trying to break down that before we're, do- we're trying to do anything else, 
you know right. um it's about listening and enjoyment and sharing and old campfire stuff you know i mean i i grew up around a campfire i i had that benefit my father introduced me to the campfire idea and he said you know what you have to bring to the campfire is important and that's where the whole deal started the entire project of humanity started around a campfire and we should never forget that and i think david and i do not forget that we want to invite you to a more and more interesting campfire where your ideas uh get heard you know yeah absolutely i second all of that um on the note of uh listener mail just got some some one one really nice thing and then one sort of story that i would like to briefly tell so i just want to give a shout out really quick to steve in the uk who messaged us to say um been meaning to drop you an email for a while now to say just how much i've been enjoying the podcast i download and listen straight away as soon as it hits my feed very diverse topics presented in an informative way Love the stories, especially. Bravo, fellas. So thank you, Steve. Very appreciated. Uh, the second thing, and I did get an email from this guy, but he's actually um, he's actually my neighbor. Um, as listeners might know, I live next to a completely dilapidated, condemned two-story home uh, on one side and a perpetually empty new home on the other. So a guy moved in about a month ago, and I saw him sort of uh, working on something in the backyard, and about a, a week ago, right after the last episode came out, uh, he stopped by to ask me about local lawn services. He was basically asking me who my lawn guy was. And uh, we got to talking, and I asked him what he did for a living. And he said, oh, well, I am a, uh, I'm a Bible translator. And, and you'll, you'll have to forgive me, sir, if I, if I get your story wrong. I'll correct it if, if it's wrong. But he told me that he translated Bibles, Bibles uh, in Papua New Guinea, of all places, which if you listen <laughs> to the show, you'll know that that is a place that's very close to Chris's heart. And uh, he, as we talked further, I informed him that my child was due April 25th, and he said with some surprise, oh, well, mine is due April 23rd. And then, to top it all off, as we shook hands and said goodbye, I said, well, my name is David, and he said, hi, David, my name is Chris. So, very <laughs> interesting synchronicities there, if you ask me. Um, did you get any weird feelings, Chris, this week? Did you... Did you Feel a disturbance oh, I, in the I, 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 I did. I did actually a little bit, a little bit of tremble in the web. I did. Mm -hmm. I did. You know, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. uh, because the whole, uh, well, the world is the world, and and it, it it is one web. You know, before we had the world wide web, we we always have had a web, but the the people in New Guinea, and I always spell New Guinea their way, N I U G I N I. Um, they're completely web connected and mm -hmm. they didn't, mm -hmm. they do not need computers to know what's going on. They live in a world of synchronicity and magic, you know, all the time. And it's, it's very interesting. So no, I did feel that vibe. I, I think that's Good. really cool. You know? Good. Good. Well, anyway, like Chris said, make sure you send your questions, concerns, comments to the butterfly in your mouth at gmail.com. The link for that will be in the show notes. Real quick, I do want to get into the show, but I did have a listener um, uh, inform me that they were not aware that the show notes are are clickable. So if you go to old episodes and you look at the at the body of the of the text in, in the show, uh, every single note there will take you to a cool explanatory article of whatever concept that we're talking about those are there very specifically to open up a whole world of new learning and new cool stuff so please make sure that you are invest excuse me investigating those but on that note chris what are we going to talk about today okay i think we're going to need to pick up a little bit of the really rich content that was 
put forward in the last episode, um, you know, at, at, we're not pre-planning all of this out. And sometimes we hit a, a little bit of, you know, there's more oxygen uh, in the pipeline than, um, than we intended. Um, so we're, let's put some, a bit of nitrogen back into the, the, the tank here. Um, we were talking last time about a definition of culture that I put forward that is, is, is very theoretical and, um, you know, is a fumbling, uh, you know, amateur attempt at, at some idea of what culture in a capital C sense might be. And it, it has to do with people's ability to manage uh, change. And uh, I, I think that's an interesting starting point. It obviously needs a lot more work. But one of the, the specific things that we got to in the last episode, which I would like to start with, is the concept of initiation rights. Uh, I made the point that, that this is what indigenous uh, tribal traditional cultures manage so well, and what we in the developed nations have lost touch with to, to a great extent. Uh, and I don't think that's really that contentious. I, I, I think that many people, uh, certainly people of, of my background and generation, would say that, that initiation rights got turned over to our peers and were not community-based. Uh, they're sort of broken, fumbling, lost things. Um, but I want to look at one initiation, right, that I think is really interesting, which I've had the privilege, and I do think it is a great privilege. I, I don't always use that word because it's so um, in vogue now, but I, I do think I was privileged to see initiation rights uh, on the Sepik River in Papua New Guinea, which is where also, where David, where your neighbor uh, has done time. Um, it is one of the great centers of, of Melanesia. It's one of the three great centers of art. Uh, if you had money to invest in, in art from that part of the world, this would be one of the places that you would look at. Um, it's where I contracted malaria. Um, it, it's a great world river. Uh, it, it embraces many, many cultures. It can be spoken of in the same breath as the Congo and in almost really the Amazon. Um, but there was a, a very important figure who's still very much alive. She's um, 70 years old now, Christina Dodwell, um, an explorer, uh, more than an anthropologist. She's never claimed to be an anthropologist, and I want to make that point very clear to our listeners. She's an explorer and a, and a great nonfiction writer. I have all of her books. I think immensely highly of her as a writer and a kind of hero in the world. Uh, she's gone off alone in, in many, many different places. Um, but one thing that really struck me, and she one of the books that really broke her open was her travels in Papua New Guinea. And she managed to infiltrate the, the male uh, initiation rite in the Sepik River region, where young men get scarified tattooed. It's not, it's not just a tattoo. It's like a really uh, brutal form of, of, of scar making that, that makes them look like crocodiles, which is the totem animal of their region. And for very good reason, because there are tons of crocodiles there. Um, and it's a male-only right. And in the 1970s, she broached that barrier. And I can understand why she wanted to do that for personal reasons, to be able to express her ability to survive pain, her ability to integrate with community. I understand all that. But I wonder, and I wonder what our audience will think today about, I don't think that's on the level of cultural appropriation. I think it's much deeper than that. And I think it's much more sincere than that. Um, I, I really admire her as a writer and an adventurer and explorer uh, in so many ways. But I do think that desire to breach um, 
a male initiation rite in another culture was wrong. That's my starting point. I think that we do need to um, accept there is a sacred and profane aspect to initiation rites. And maybe we just need to respect some sacred space. And in, in, in doing that, we might recoup that in our own culture once again. So that's my starting point, David. I like that. I It makes me wonder about a lot of glass ceilings that get shattered. We tend to think of those in terms of businesses, corporations, um, the, the home, right? Uh, women moving from caretakers to wage earners in particular. But what you're talking about is an interesting wrinkle in all of that because, by the way, I do think that that framing of the discussion is a valid one and one that could be explored both in positive and negative ways. But you're talking about a very important, sacred, as you said, ritual that is very explicitly for the the men of the tribe. So I'm interested in your thoughts on this. What do you think gets broken when an explorer like Dodwell participates in a ritual? Well, here's the th- here's another way of thinking about this. Mm-hmm. That same culture that she wanted to integrate with has uh, a traditional, and I think that we can say 10,000-year-old, but, you know, it could be 50,000-year-old, but it doesn't matter. It's their program of belief that uh, men should not be present at the birth of children. They believe Mm -hmm. in a a Mm -hmm. midwife culture of, of, of mutual female support. And that when, when a woman is giving birth, they zero in on that. The women zero in on that. And the men do not. They, 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 are, they are not part of that program of, of, of cultural development. You know, They just take a step back and say, well, no, this is a women's thing. And I, I wonder if... The problem isn't just respecting uh, boundaries within a culture. And we're talking about pretty small scale, you know, communities. We're not talking about giant civilizations or cities, you know, like Chicago or Indianapolis, you know. We, We don't have to work on that basis. We can work on a smaller basis and just, but I wonder if their basis isn't one that we should remember so what was the damage done? Um, well, I don't think it was irreparable because these people have been through, you know, these people have survived an awful lot. They're not going to be sort mm-hmm. of bowled over by a white woman getting tattooed, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, I don't mean to say that. I, I think that would be wrong. Uh, and I don't mean to criticize her for wanting to do that um, mm-hmm. because I can understand her exact point, And I really admire her courage. I, I think she's a she's a hero of mine, um, and and I think it's it's okay to interrogate your heroes a little bit, and not yeah. just make them heroes. Um, but I think the damage done was that it upset a balance of culture within a small community from an external point of view, and it doesn't matter that the the skin color. Of, of Christina Dodwell. It doesn't matter that her nationality, uh, a British passport. It, it really just matters that there was a, a culture of transition at a very vulnerable point of, of moving young men into adulthood that I just think should be left alone. And I will say this, and I, I don't have any... Um, I, I was offered that opportunity to be part of that ceremony. And I am male. You know, that's a little bit closer to the action. And I turned that down because I just said, no, I'm not from here. This is not my thing. This is not my deal. 
Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I would love the chance to to photograph uh, people and to interview, and and I want I'm I'm curious about what's going on, but I I do not want to uh, make my thing uh, your thing, you know, mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. it, it's not, and I, I that was just my way of of handling that, but. I, I think that when we really appreciate the idea of initiation and steps towards maturity, you know, this is the big crisis in America now. We've got people mm-hmm. in their thirties mm-hmm. and forties who haven't moved out of home. Right. I mean, right. really, this is this is diabolical. I have a friend who's who has children who have had not just one, but two children under their roof. And, and they're never going to leave home. You know, right. they're right. going to inherit the home when the parents die. This is not a good uh, functional thing. This is the definition of dysfunctional cultural behavior. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I just think anything we can do to protect the initiation rights, the ceremonies generally, of, of mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, why do we always have to be part of every ceremony? Oh, right. You know, here, here's just a simple good story. I was really deeply embedded in a village culture in Vanuatu, and the men would have really serious kava uh, ceremonies, which. There, kava is really, really potent and really mm-hmm. uh, hypnotic. I love and, kava. I have a bag of it, by the way. But sorry, continue. Well, I don't think you have Vanuatu kava. I guarantee you. Probably not. Because, no, this is like another, this is like Campesino cocaine versus like talcum powder. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it really is a big, big difference. But, you know, they would let me be part of their deal and I, I was living with them, right? And they were polite about it. They were polite. But there would come a time when they would say, look, the spirits are coming and you have to leave, mm-hmm. you know? And they mm-hmm. were nice about it. They were nice about it. But they, they nonetheless drew the line of like, you can be part of our world part of our ceremony to a point and then you have to fumble your way through the jungle back to your bed you know mm-hmm, whatever it mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. you know and i don't think that's a bad thing to say to people right no no i don't think it's bad at, e- at all because the more i think about things like initiation rituals so there is a point in time which is the initiation and there are things that come after it Right in our understanding of time, there are things that happen in the future after an initiation takes place, but you can't ignore everything on the other side. Stuff that's all come before the initiation has taken place. So the way that I'm conceiving of it in my head is almost there being this sort of structure in uh, the fabric of their lives that is built off of these very specific traditions that all lead up to a moment in which, let's say, for example, these people on the Sepik boys are initiated into manhood, right? And if something or somebody comes in that interrupts that fabric, it can have a almost a retroactive effect. It can start mm. to make, make all the dominoes fall. And then maybe for a while there, there's nothing to be initiated into because you've blown the house of cards over. That's well said. I like that idea of the retroactive sudden, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that suggests something so subtle. And I hope people pick up on, David is sometimes a little bit humble. Uh, he picks up on some things that are really interesting uh, because what was just said was that Ceremonial practices are eternal. They link time. And if you pop something into the mix, 
you you affect the whole time frame. It freaks out the past as mm -hmm. well as the future, as Correct. well as the future. See, that's what what people miss because we don't we're not a ceremonial magical culture anymore, except in regards to ways that we don't know and and want to deny because of course we are. Um, but yeah, it, it's this it's this little uh, pebble thrown into a pond that ripples in a different way than what we're used to. It's like, oh, okay, the circles that come out, you know, it's like we're following this. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's like, no, <laughs> we're working in non-local quantum time. And most people who of any sense really get on to that. But those are the people we're trying to kill off the fastest. We're trying mm -hmm. to sort of bulldoze their forests. Uh, kill animals, you know, it's just, it goes on and on and on. But mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting idea that when someone does something in, in a certain culture, it can actually retroactively change their culture because their culture is not uh, just names of freeways and statues and artifacts their culture is a real thing living every day. And mm -hmm. we don't understand that. You know, we want to change. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll go to Princeton and, and we'll take off the name of someone on the building because he was involved in, you know, this and that. That's the stupidity of this, of, of our <laughs> culture, you know? Yeah. Whereas some people go, well, wait a minute. Everything is alive and everything is today. What about that idea? Everything is alive and everything is today. Right, right. Yeah, and it's important what you're saying too because you're not, like neither of us, I think, are suggesting that the past doesn't exist or nor that the future doesn't exist. That's not it at all. It's that things get spooky when you actually start to think about how time and things like that work. And, you know, I could go down a whole rabbit hole with the, tearing down statues and renaming buildings thing, because that's probably something for me to go into at a different time, because you brought up an interesting question in my mind that I'd like to hear you expound upon, which is, uh, so in our culture, Western American culture, do we, do we have initiation rituals outside, outside of, as you said earlier, uh, in the last episode, back alleys and back seats of cars, No, I don't think we do really. No, I don't think so. Either. Um, <laughs> I don't a pretty think easy question, have, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that we certainly don't have. Um, well, here is the definition of, of a good initiation, right? Uh, someone who's been through it would have the confidence of knowing they have been through it. Not that that is the final definition of maturity or arrival. In, in fact, mo in most uh, cultures that I know of that have strong initiation rites, they have multiple ones. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it isn't just one sort of thing that there, there's, um, you know, it, it's a progression. But no, I think that we've abandoned this idea of, linking the internal, personal, private, psychological world with um, the, the public and social world. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, we don't want to integrate people. We don't want to make, no one wants to grow up, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, that's a big that's, one. That, that's too much responsibility, you know? And then there are a lot of people who, and I, I wonder about, you know, as you're heading into your uh, parenthood situation, I'm sure you've known some people who think that if they just crank out a baby, uh, mm -hmm. somehow they've grown up, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and uh, it's just sadly not true. <laughs> yeah, there's... A, I was talking to my mother the other day. My mother calls every day just to catch up <laughs> and see, see what's going on. I love her to death. She's the best. So she called and was talking about a friend who she was visiting with, and her friend had two children. One of them was adopted. She adopted a little girl when she thought that she was not going to be able to have children. 
and then miracle of miracles she gave birth biologically to a to a son okay so the son is currently you know he's an adult and he's well adjusted but the daughter decided to go and live in a cave in the hills of Kentucky <laughs> and this daughter ended up having a daughter of her own and the daughter was raised in this cave for the first year of her life and when she went to visit her grandmother my mother's friend uh she was malnourished she had diaper rash it was an ugly scene she was not very well taken care of and i was listening to my mother tell me the story because eventually eventually cps took the kid away and it took them two years because they had to find the people in the cave to begin with and uh you know i was listening to my mother tell me this story and this is to your point by the way um and i thought and i told her you know I don't see a problem with mm. raising a kid in a cave as long as that kid is well taken care of. So so here's the thing. So here's the thing. It's totally fine to raise a kid in a cave as long as they have food, as long as their hygiene is taken care of as, as well as you can. I mean, Appalachia is full of beautiful streams um, that haven't been completely tainted by the coal mining. You can you can clean and bathe and feed and, and keep a, a child... Um, you know, doing pretty well. You can also homeschool them. The only thing they're really missing is once they get to a certain age, at least the social aspect of being around other children. But when you said that nobody wants to grow up, I got this impression, and this is what made me sort of irritated and unfortunately a bit judgmental about these people, was that it was like they didn't want to to give up this this cave-dwelling lifestyle, even for their own child. And it's like, doesn't it seem like your your priorities would shift? You start telling dad jokes, you get into whittling, you know, you drink you drink a beer on the porch. And- Whittling comes back. Yeah. Dave, you gotta post you gotta post <laughs> some examples of your whittling. I mean, I, I that's a lost uh, craft yeah. art, you know. Right. That I, I, I we we need to see how good a whittler you are. All right, you know? all right. Well, I might, I might, but. Anyway, that was a long way around of expressing this idea that, you know, I might have done a bit crudely. I I really, on this show, I don't want to denigrate anybody's hobbies or things that they enjoy or anything like that. But it does seem to me that there is a reticence to to give certain things up in favor of of other things. I don't know. I mean, I guess I've had drug-induced initiation ritual. Like, I've I sort of recognize the ephemerality of life in general and that one day it'll be over and I'll be returned to the well of souls or whatever it is that we end up returning to. Um, And so, you know, a life is finite and what makes a finite life beautiful is the ability to, to it's, it's about what you don't do in a life. Right. And so in a culture that gives you, 58 options every minute for things that you could be doing instead of one other thing. I think it's just really admirable and a goal of mine, at least to to live simply like that and to actually commit to another person or, or a craft or, or something to that effect. Well, I, I I will come to your rescue and and rein things in Mm -hmm. and get back to, um, although, you know, Far be it from me to to personally disagree with with anything you said because I I think I'm living in a very big glass house about that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, on on the other hand, let if we get back to kind of connecting some dots from last episode, which is uh, about the idea of going headless. Yes, and the the binary of. The, the 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 mind and the body, which which so permeates Western culture, um, it, it it actually permeates Western culture in in ways that we can't even believe. I mean, consider uh, the simple uh, verb forms avoir and être in in, in French, um, to have and to be. Um, do you have a body, or are you a body? And if you are a body, are you only your body? I mean, mm-hmm. right there, somewhere back in time, 
a major uh, decision was made. And I'm going to leave, uh, leave it up to David to, to just give a little bit of background on about two uh, key philosophical terms of epistemology and ontology, which some people understand, but I, I, I'd like to hear him riff on that. But anyway, um, the idea of that we explored in the last episode of the headless ritual in an occult uh, Crowley sense and in a worldwide sense of stepping away from uh, a rationalist, reason-based, just completely, uh, well, really, uh, you know, in, in a weird way, it's a, it's a very left-brain uh, approach to life and just kind of getting back to a more intuitive, uh, naturalistic, and I think in a Jungian sense, a more female-based uh, understanding of life. What what does that actually mean? How can we actually do that? And um, I was thinking of a few things. I there's a strange sort of um, tradition in, in in Christian art of of headless saints, mm -hmm. saints presenting themselves with severed heads, and they're called cephalophores, mm -hmm. as in which is kind of related to cephalopods octopus, you know, squid, etc., which I think is fascinating just linguistically. But the idea that we would need to occasionally step free of our brains and our heads and maybe engage with other forms of knowledge and uh, cognition is is a really interesting idea because we we just assume cognition is based and really determined upon the brain and maybe we need to step free of that now why why is that a world cultural idea this is not this is not limited to one culture this is a world cultural idea this is an idea that that began in Africa, perhaps. But, I mean, you look at Indian, Chinese, there's always this idea. What is Zen, really? You know, the practice of Zen is really a way of trying to uh, rewire the brain around. It, it, it's a kind of headlessness without that physical metaphor. And I wonder what you think about that. Oh, well, there's a... There's a lot there. I think that it is, I think it's one of the most important things that we can do while we're alive. Meditation is definitely a part of it, but becoming headless should be everybody's goal uh, to a certain extent. You might want to keep the physical one, but otherwise you want to uh, get rid of that thing. So I'm often reminded of the David Foster Wallace line when he's asked about suicide and he famously hanged himself on his porch um but he talks about how most men when they commit suicide they shoot themselves in the head and he called it um uh, betraying the terrible master i believe is how it's put right mm. so there is this idea that we live up inside of our heads and this comes from uh Descartes and from Descartes probably further down the line to some Neoplatonism, which we could get into if we probably don't have time this episode. But anyway, we'll just start with Descartes and the idea of I think, therefore I am. Now, this came fr from and created what we would now think of as a kind of materialist cosmology. So I'll dissect those those two points there. So materialism is the idea that everything is essentially uh, dead matter, right? So it's a it's a way of thinking. It actually materialism in and of itself is an epistemology. So do you think now would be a good time to explain what epistemology is? <laughs> yeah, lay it on us, David. Okay. Lay, lay it on us. Okay, cool. So epistemology is the easiest way 
the way that I remember it in my head is that epistemology is how we know things that we know. And there are many different theories about this, right? There are many different theories of how knowledge comes to us. There is the aforementioned materialism. Uh, what are some other ones? Idealism is another one, uh, which idealism believe, like is getting much more popular recently, but idealism is, is about as close to animism as modern science is willing to get. And it's basically the idea that everything has a consciousness to it, right? So epistemology is is how we know what we know. Did you want to add anything to that? Am I leaving something out of epistemology? I think that's a very strong starting point. It hits to the key word that all human culture is based on is trust. How, what do we trust in and, and why do we trust in it? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I think that's the basis of the whole deal. And it, it branches off into uh, degrees of skepticism mm-hmm. um, and also objectivism and assertions of absolute truth and you know assertions of complete relativism which is not very helpful either. Mm-hmm. So no, I think you I think that's a very good simple clear statement. Right, right, and perspectivism, right? Something that we've been talking about is is a yeah. is a branch of this. Um okay, so the materialist epistemology that everything is is dead um came from uh from Rene Descartes and so what ended up happening was this idea of a mind and body split and so we are not just our sort of like well we are just our corporeal bodies we're made up uh most of us anyway have two legs two arms uh, a torso a heart all these kind of machines that 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 do the work of moving us around and being alive but the real the real magic happens inside the human the human brain and i think that when you get into something like meditation or this idea of headlessness the idea of separating the head from the body might might seem like you're you're actually privileging the mind and getting rid of all bodily temptations you know a lot of um the desert fathers who you know sort of wrote these uh, early christian texts would starve themselves for for years and only drink a little bit of water um it was this idea that the body is not is is corrupted and that the mind is you know uh the epicenter of the soul and 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 thought and all this kind of stuff. So, but I tend to think of becoming headless, whether that's through a Zen practice or something more occult, as actually uh, reintroducing the head to the stream, the large cosmic stream from which it came. Okay. So, this is two very different ways of thinking about it. So, I would say that meditation, you're not trying to forget your body. You're not trying to forget your surroundings. You're not even really trying to forget your day-to-day problems like your bills and your marriage or whatever is going on with you. But by becoming headless, by divorcing yourself from these constant cycles of sort of destructive thought, you are you are allowing your head to exist in in concert with, in harmony with its its surroundings so i actually i have a very um positive view of the entire idea of being headless and it and by doing that the irony of the whole thing is that you actually become more in tune with things like your body and the world around you because you're in vibration with with your surroundings so that was a long answer to your question but i hope that i hope that that all made sense well it did you know um I mean, I, I, I'm an old stoner from California, mm-hmm. and, I, and I make no apology about that. And I think of a great Jim Morrison line, 
the DJs took pills to stay awake and play for seven days. I don't know if that means anything to anyone else, but it does to me. <laughs> and it, you know, it just it 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 captures a spirit of headlessness and and moving outside a frame. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we're really talking about here is the concept of frame and. Frame is a really interesting idea. Think about the first Paleolithic cave artist who painted a gazelle on a cave wall. I mean, that was a radical gesture beyond all our imagining. I don't care who you are. You're not that smart. You're not that smart. That was a breakthrough moment in, in world humanity culture. It invented instantly uh, abstraction, representation, symbolism, and a really crazy idea of algebraic manipulation of symbols in one moment. I mean, that was a genius, genius moment. And I'm sorry that I, I would give anything to have been there, to have seen that mm-hmm. just, you know, in, in a hypothetical, magical sense. I would, I would give, I would sacrifice the rest of my life. Mm-hmm to have been there for two seconds, to have seen that. Mm -hmm. Because on that basis, the whole program rolled out. You know, the whole human program rolled out. It rippled across the entire field of humanity, wherever it was, whether it was in, you know, South Africa, Southern Europe, whatever, you know, it just, it affected the entire field of human endeavor. And... I wonder about that moment all the time mm-hmm. because I think it, it, it implanted in our, the I, it set off a chain reaction of possible culture. You know, it really did. Um, it was such a beautiful and discreet moment unto itself. You know, someone made those paints. They mixed those paints. They, they somehow decided to create this creature on a wall. It wasn't graffiti. It's not graffiti. I don't accept that at all. I, I absolutely, you know, deflect that idea finally. I, I've been involved in a few debates about this lately. And uh, no, I, I'm just not going to go there. I, I think there's an argument that that was not what was going on. Um, but I think that the interesting thing is that we have always as a species struck out for a kind of meaning that we are kind of creating ourselves as well as discovering. You know, it goes back to our last episode. I talked about Winnie the Pooh and and Piglet, you know, looking for the woozle, you know. I I really think that's a great... um, analogy for for the whole human story in a way we were always chasing our own te- we were always pursuing our own doppelganger shadow um and and we will never really be um content until we catch it and of course we won't <laughs> right you know right no yeah i think that yeah the woozle is a great story for that about <laughs> kind of always chasing this kind of Spectre, and it's one of the great tragedies of many human lives, I think, is that so much time is spent chasing after something without ever realizing that it's the it's the chasing and the wanting that is part of what makes mm. us human. Um, mm. And that not only will it never go away, but you wouldn't want it to go away. I think you would feel well, so exactly. empty if it went away, don't you think? Exactly. I think that's the whole thing that, you know, and this is the the problem with so much of education, which I'm afraid that you're going to, you know, get wrapped up in very quickly as, you know, I mean, Gus will be sort of, you know, pissing and and ghouling and and doing some things for a while, Mm -hmm. but he's going to be pretty quickly out walking and reading and, 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 you know, going to school. You know, that'll happen very quickly. And then the question for you as parents is, well, how much of this education system destroys 
the woozle hunting in him, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, everyone gets to, I mean, woozle hunting is, is maybe uh, inherently uh, silly. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, nonetheless, it's better to go out hunting and searching for information and clues to yourself, clues to the world than anything else. And I just hope that the education system around you guys is is really prepared for uh, young Gus. I mean, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and I hope you're demanding enough as parents. And and uh, what opportunities are we offering young people to break free of these deep structured restrictions within language and culture, and to find again the magic of the Paleolithic cave painters, the people who invented it all, you right, know, right. that's my, that, that's my question. Yeah, no. And I think it's a valid one. It's something that I've given a lot of thought to, especially with regard to Gus, because I don't know if I like the way the current education system from, you know, K through 12, I don't know if I like the way that it teaches children how to think. I'm not sure that I like what it teaches children what to think. I'm not sure that it really is anything other than a very thinly veiled, you know, mechanism for getting kids used to being told what to do with their jobs and doing it dutifully, you know? I don't, I'm not really sure that there is a program of mind expansion or critical thought or anything like that, really. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have some some friends who I knew in school, and they were always really great at school, and they, they grew up to be rather boring people. <laughs> Every, everybody who I know who um, is sort of on a, a, on a trippy, interesting level wasn't necessarily the best student. There are exceptions to this, of course, but, you know, I just, I just think that it takes a lot of, of deprogramming, and I'm not really sure why at this point that I'm at in my life, um, or will probably be in in my life, why I would send my kid to go get programmed like that. You know, he's going to have a bunch of cousins, a bunch of friends. The social aspect will be, we'll figure out, we'll figure out all that kind of stuff as it as it comes. But yeah, I'm not big well, on on school, man. <laughs> Well, I think that's cool because you do have a great social background, and I think that's a really fun part. And I think that in the background of, of you know, having this child was really your own personal background and, and Rios's, uh, that you've got a lot of socialization kind of built into the mix, which is what so many students, as they grow older, you know, they lack. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you just can't, you know, it's a very terrible thing for a lot of people that they just didn't know anyone growing up. I mean, I walked out, the, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I walked out the door uh, at my father's house in Oakland and I didn't even think about this, right? I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a phone. I didn't text anyone, you know? Mm -hmm. And there were like 30 people, you know, there, my age, ready to play uh, football in the street. We, of course, didn't go to the park. That would have been too, you know, smart, right? <laughs> um, you know, or we, or we did whatever. And, and, you know, and then we did get into some things. Okay, yeah, I understand that. Some people would say, well, we got into some things that, you know, maybe weren't good. But at least I just walked out the door. Yeah. You know, I didn't have to make any plans about it. And kids today don't have that sort of ability. So I think that really taking the socialization as a separate channel of family responsibility, of having cousins and just, I don't know, just being picked up. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. psychologists say, Kids who just get picked up physically, like, you know, like dogs, um, they're better off. And I hope that the young people today get a chance to get some play and yeah. get some physicality. And, you know, I fought every day with my stepbrother. Every day we had a fist fight or some rumble. 
you know, and people would go, oh, that's terrible. You know, it's like, no, it wasn't. We didn't kill ourselves, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like, you know, we were just rumbling. We're young males right. just, you know. I mean, what was the problem? With that, yeah, you know? yeah. No, I don't, I don't think there was one at all. And it reminds me of, um, it's actually a really good segue into what we're going to talk about next episode because this whole system of socialization and touch and education that you're talking about is all a program, I think in both of our opinions, of of this nebulous idea of progress. And, yes. and next episode, we're really going to unpack and maybe dismantle a little bit this idea of progress. Would you like to, would you like to set that up before we wrap up here? Yeah, this is a big series that David and I have been thinking about from, from both our points of view. And it, it really is a, it's one of the biggest topics of of our time. We're going to be looking at five myths of progress. Uh, The religious angle the biological angle which emerged through Darwin in the 19th century, the technological angle, the cultural and the social sociological angle with a major moment in the middle of the technological, which is perhaps kind of dominating our thinking here. So we're trying to break down some things in a very big way but also in a very fun way. And we welcome people's response to this. But I think there is a, a program of, of progress as a kind of weird human delusion uh, from the religious angle, the biological angle, the technological angle, the cultural angle, and the sociological angle today, which has so much to do with capitalism and, and where we are in terms of... Uh, well, I don't know. I've just seen three Amazon Prime trucks and, and four pizza deliveries in mm, my mm-hmm, neighborhood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got some real ground to cover. Um, but the idea of progress is in itself a radical rhetorical assertion that needs to be unpacked. And I think David and I are the people to do it. I think so too. I think so too. So we will be back with you next time with that episode. And before we leave, we love synchronicities on this show. Uh, I related the story earlier about my neighbor who had that interesting synchronicity with with Chris, my co-host here. Um, and I was thinking to myself of how I would relate this current synchronicity that just happened because while I don't want to necessarily name the child who lived in a cave... While Chris was talking about something in this episode, he mentioned a particular word, and it's a very unique word, uh, and that was actually the the girl, the little girl's name. Uh, so I just wanted to put that out there. I thought that was kind of cool. But uh, the sinks are swirling, man. The synchronicities are swirling. It means we're on the right track. It does. It does. And, you know, I, I think that if we can get people to be aware of the synchronicities around you know surrounding them that 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 that's part of our our ministerial mission here you know um because mm-hmm. there are things that are going on all the time I'll, i just just close out with the idea that i have met three people in my life one just the other day who absolutely insist that they are the inventors of Gatorade and they have been swindled about, you know, from all the profits. Now, I don't think it's unusual to, to meet people. Uh, if, if you're involved in show business in any way, you, you've met many people who said, oh, I had that idea and then they just stole it, you know. Um, it, it, that happens all the time. But what I'm talking about is why have I personally met three people who claim to have invented Gatorade? I mean, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. weird. That's that's Jungian weird. That's an alchemical resonance. That makes me feel glad that I've got my tuning forks out of my, you know, I, I have a whole set of tuning forks and I ring them every once in a while. Um, 
just to remind me about tuning forks. And uh, I, I think that's a weird tune to the world. Gatorade? Why Gatorade? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that what it means in a ritual sense, if we want to look at this magically, I think what that means is that you might need to go down to the corner store and buy you a Gatorade. Well, you know, that was my first response, and I'm glad you said that. I've got like a, a whole carton lined up. I, I took that very <laughs> seriously and just thought, now this is exactly what the message is. And, and maybe it was a, maybe it's a, an implant of some CIA experiment. Um, and I think it mm -hmm. is worth saying to people, I, I was interviewed by the CIA. Um, and I am posting about this in my social media frames. I don't think I was uh, hypnotized or drugged by them, but on the other hand, they were the you know they're the CIA. So how would I know? Um, yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, you wouldn't know, would you? Well, they well you you don't know, but I I think it's interesting that they have managed to orchestrate a Gatorade thing in the larger world. If they planted a Gatorade uh, hypnotic su suggestion in my mind, I can understand that. I would just buy Gatorade, right? But uh, on the other hand, meeting people um, from out of the blue in the dog park, you know, I mean, that's a little bit, that's really good stage magic, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's on that is doing great stage magic. And I love that idea, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. I love that idea. Absolutely. Well, it's been another great episode. Thanks to everybody for listening. Chris, thank you. And uh, we will talk to you next time.